Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Matthew chapter five, chapter 6, verse 5. Would you stand in the reading the reverence of the Word of our God? for the next seven hour sermon. <clears throat> Matthew chapter six, verse five. Jesus is speaking. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you go, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You may be seated. The question I want to ask the church this morning is this, how is your prayer life. D.A. Carson said that if you really want to embarrass the average Christian, just ask them the details of their personal prayer life. A lot of people struggle with prayer, especially in our highly distracted, highly caffeinated ADHD world. Many of us start with good intentions. Maybe you've started this new year praying and spending time in God's word during the Bible reading plan as a church, as we've been doing that these few days. And maybe you begin to pray, and just if you're like me, maybe when you start to pray, your mind begins to wonder. Just the other day, I was praying, and I said, Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness, and thank you for your grace, and thank you for the blessings, and thank you that you give me, and thank you for the, the, the family that you've given me, and, and Father, thank you for the food that I get to eat. And then all of a sudden, my mind began to say, Well, man, I'm hungry, and I think I want to go to Chick-fil-A and get a grilled chicken club with a large Coke Zero and fries. And the next thing you know, I'm starting to plan the rest of my afternoon while I'm praying. Uh, prayer is hard work. Prayer is spiritual warfare, but yet prayer is essential to the Christian life. And unfortunately, we either fall in one of two categories. We either tend to A, overcomplicate prayer, or B, we tend to over, uh, underestimate prayer. Well, the biggest game changer in my life personally, uh, and even as a pastor, is to really take more seriously my prayer life. Uh, many of you, maybe you've been like me, you kind of did it as habit, but it really wasn't a part of who you were. But what I'm praying is that not only for your life, but for my life, but for all of our lives, is that we really get a hold of what God wants in that power and that moment of prayer. And I believe that if we want to see God move us from being a church that goes from Naples to the nations, if we want to be a church that's multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and multiplying, we need to be a church on our knees. See, Satan doesn't get scared of large churches. He doesn't, he doesn't get afraid of big budgets or big buildings, but he trembles when God's people are on their knees in prayer. Now, we're going to be going through this series called Praying Like Jesus, and the purpose of this series is not to guilt you, 
into praying more. Because what I found that sermons that guilt you for a for the moment, often last for the season and they wear off quickly and then it just leaves you feeling more guilty and more inept. The goal of this sermon series is to help you and I cultivate a life of prayer. That we see that prayer is just as essential and just as common in our lives as breathing, eating, and sleeping. That we're not just living on a prayer, but we're living by prayer. Well, here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' mid-sermon on the mount, one of the most famous sermons of Jesus... He has just spent time going through what we know as the Beatitudes, and then he deals with the, uh, the, the modern-day thinking of the religious people when it came to the Word and the law of God. And now he is addressing the three pillars of the Judaistic religion, the Jewish religion. And, and those three pillars were giving to the poor fasting and prayer. And as Jesus here talks about prayer, he is essentially answering the question the disciples had. And when they asked Jesus in Luke 11, verse one, Lord, teach us to pray of all the things that they could have asked Jesus to teach them, not how to perform miracles, not how to preach, not how to provide food out of nothing. But no, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus here is answering that. And Jesus does not teach them how long they are to pray and what time of day they are to pray or what position they were to pray in or whether or not their eyes should be opened or closed while they pray. But Jesus here is instructing them and us today on what to pray, how to pray, and the motivation behind it. And what I hope that you learned this morning is this, is that praying like Jesus means that we understand the priority of prayer, the precautions in prayer, and the point of prayer. So let's just walk through those really quickly. Number one, the priority of prayer. Verse five, Jesus says, and when you pray. Notice he doesn't say if you pray, but when you pray. The assumption of Jesus is that we pray. Jesus didn't have to teach his disciples they should pray. That was a given. Prayer is not something for the super spiritual or the super elite. Most people around the world pray. In all religions, people pray. Muslims pray five times a day, pointing to Mecca. Jews pray three times a day. Buddhists use prayer wheels. Hindus pray for, to, for help from their gods to escape the cycles of reincarnation. A recent UK 2018 study said that prayer, about prayer in the UK, that 30% of atheists admit to praying sometimes. Even the most remote cultures in the world, you'll find people praying. So prayer to Jesus was a non-negotiable daily staple of his life. To Jesus, it seemed that prayer was more essential to him than food and water. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus prays. Around 38 times, uh, the Gospel writers record Jesus praying before every major task, after every major work, in many ways, in many situations, quite often Jesus would withdraw to pray. And this is why in Luke 11, again, the disciples asked Jesus to how, how to pray because they thought that if we could have a prayer life like he did, then we should expect power like he had. And what I'm getting at is this, is that you cannot be a follower of Jesus and not pray. That there's no such thing as a non-praying Christian. John Stott said that to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is breathing. Prayer is the breath of the soul. It's not just a nice thing, it's a necessary thing. Just like breathing right now, it's not just nice that you can breathe, it's necessary that you can breathe. It's critical to be a believer in this broken world. You know, we're now into 2022, and I'm sure some of you are still writing checks to 2021. Um, and we went uh, from 2022, from 2021, 2020, and you know, it seems like things haven't necessarily got any better. 
Uh, it's kind of been a, a strange world. And, and even as we left 2020 thinking, if we can just get past 2020, life will be easier in 2021. Well, I felt like it got harder. As a matter of fact, it's like 2021 said to 2020, hold my coffee, here we go. <laughs> and now we're in 2022 going into the third year of the pandemic. Our world is still divided. Our nation is still in, in, in disarray. Things are painful. Things are confusing. Things are scary. What's your first instinct? Is it outrage? Is it going on social media? Is it defending yourself? Is it accusing other people? The first instinct of, uh, that we should have as followers of Christ is, should always be to pray. Prayer should always be the first response, not the last resort. Now, we all know that. I mean, none of you came in here and said, well, Pastor, you just told me something I didn't know I'm supposed to pray. No, you all, we all know that. But here's the thing. Most of us don't necessarily know what prayer is. What, what does it mean to pray? We, we know we should do it, but we don't know what it is. Well, let me give you a definition that we're going to work through over the course of this series. And, and this is a definition of prayer. Prayer is communicating with God the Father through the person and work of Jesus Christ in the power and assistance of the Holy Spirit. That, that's the best definition that I can give you. Prayer is communicating with God the Father in the person of God the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. And so let's unpack that. Number one, prayer is communication. That is, it's relational communication with God as a person, like a, a child to their parent or a friend to a friend. That's why we sang a moment ago, I know you as a father, I know you as a friend. Listen, here's what I also know. It's possible to talk to someone and not communicate. Those of you that are married, you understand that. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is being real, being honest, be, uh, being authentic to God. And prayer is an ongoing conversation. Tim Keller says that prayer is an ongoing conversation with God that was started by God through his word and by his grace. And so prayer is communication. Number two, prayer is communication through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We get access to the Father only through the person and work of Jesus. Jesus gives us the all-inclusive access to God. He is our Savior and our mediator. He is the one that gets us in. On our own, it is access denied. But through Jesus, we are always accepted. No one but Jesus gets us to the Father. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so we can boldly go before God Almighty because of Jesus. That's why Hebrews in Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, just recently, we bought a house here in Naples. And uh, so y'all are stuck with us, uh, at least for the next 30 years, okay? <laughs> and uh, as we were looking at this house, we, we really liked it, and, and it's in a gated community. And so we wanted to go see it. And, and as we went through that inspection process, uh, we wanted to go in and kind of check it out. Well, for us to get in, you had to go through the gate. And in order to get in the gate, you, somebody had to give you access. Because if you didn't have access, if someone didn't vouch for you and give you access, then Tom at the gate was not going to let you in. Well, to be in that community, I had to have access. Someone had to get me in. And to be in the community of the Trinity, someone's got to get you access. And the only one that can give you access is Jesus Christ. And he died to give you access. Prayer is communication to God the Father in the person and work of Jesus Christ in the power and assistance of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Trinity is at work in your prayer life. 
The Holy Spirit is himself interceding. In, Hebrew, in, in Romans chapter 8, 26, the Bible says that when we don't even know what to say, the Holy Spirit comes to our aid with groanings too deep for words. When we don't know where to begin, when we don't even know what we need, when we don't even know how to express our need, the Holy Spirit comes and gives us help. The Holy Spirit takes what we say to God and makes it comprehensible. And I don't know about you, but there are moments in my life that when I pray to God, it's not very comprehensible. And there are many times that I thank God for unanswered prayers, as the great theologian Garth Brooks taught us. <laughs> but here's what I want you to understand, that you and I never waste time when we pray. Even when you don't know what to say, even when you're fumbling and bumbling, the Holy Spirit takes what is a mess and turns it into prayer. And so since the Trinity is involved in your prayer life, since Jesus died so you could have access, don't you think that prayer should be a priority in your life? Going back to just the, the person of Jesus, Jesus was a man of prayer, and J.D. Greer in his book Just Ask says this, if Jesus, God Almighty, dwelling as man in the flesh, felt like he could do nothing on his own and knew he needed his Father's help, strength, and guidance, why would we ever think that we're any different? If Jesus, who had to save the world in a church to build, took time to ask his father to give what he needed, why wouldn't we think, why would we ever think that we're too busy to pray or too strong to not need to? Why would we go through our lives with so little prayer? Do we honestly think that we're more capable than Jesus? Listen, no one drifts towards a deep prayer life. It doesn't just happen through osmosis. No one drifts naturally towards spiritual maturity. It requires intentional, daily focused effort. As one man said, to become what no one else is becoming, you have to do what no one else is doing. It's a priority when you pray. But secondly, not only the priority of prayer, but I want you to see precautions in prayer. Verse five, when you pray, you must not be like Jesus is going to teach us how to pray by telling us how not to pray. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the heathens. Jesus assumes and actually knows, he's God Almighty, that most people pray. And because he's God, he also knows that most people pray wrongly. The disciples here are looking for a model. They're looking for a model of prayer. And Jesus warns them about which models to avoid. The first model he says to avoid is the hypocrite model those who want to impress people. Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite in the Greek language meant a play actor. It was someone who put on a mask and played a part. In Greco-Roman theater, uh, women did not play roles in the theater. There were no women actresses. And so men would play the role of both men, man, and woman. And so whoever was the best at portraying with a mask the, the part of a woman would be called the greatest hypocrite. So you would get awards being the greatest hypocrite. Someone to, who is good at pretending at being something that they're not. And so Jesus here takes that Greek word and that language in that day and brings it here into religion. And he says to here, he's basically teaching that a hypocrite is someone who professes to believe one thing but actually lives a completely different way. A hypocrite pretends to be something they're not. And hypocrisy is when what you say you believe doesn't line up with how you actually behave. And I'll give you some examples. If you are a well-known vegan who eats bacon sandwiches every night before you go to bed, you're a hypocrite. 
If you champion family values and yet you sleep around with multiple people, you are a hypocrite. If you say that you are a true blue Kentucky fan, yet you cheer for the University of Louisville or those dastardly devils at Duke, you are a hypocrite. <laughs> now, we're confused often about what hypocrisy is. Some people say, Pastor, I, I don't want to go to church because church is full of hypocrites. And I look at them and say, well, you go to Walmart, don't you? You go to Target. You go to Publix. It's full of hypocrites. You still go there. We have a misunderstanding of what hypocrisy is. Sometimes Christians think that hypocrisy is doing one thing but feeling another. That's not hypocrisy. You know, when you come to church but don't feel like coming to church, that's not hypocrisy. Listen, there's some days I don't even want to be here. I don't even want to listen to myself. Okay, I get that. But coming to church when you don't feel like coming to church isn't hypocrisy, it's faithfulness. You know, some of you are in marriages. I've actually had people say, Pastor, I, I can't stay in this marriage. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't love my wife anymore. I don't love my husband anymore. How can I stay in a relationship with someone that I absolutely do not love? Well, listen, when you do the right thing in your marriage, even when you don't feel in love, that's not hypocrisy. That is fidelity. See, doing what is right when you don't feel like doing what is right is not hypocrisy. It is maturity. So Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who say they believe one thing but live a totally different life because he says they love to stand and they love to pray that they may be seen of other people. And Jesus has just went on a tirade at the beginning of chapter 6 saying, do not practice your righteousness to be seen by others. See, religious hypocrites don't really love God. They love to be seen by other people. They want to impress others in the streets more than they want to spend time with God in the secret. See, the Jews in Jesus' day prayed three times, following Daniel's pattern or the psalm, Psalm 55, 17, that says in the morning, evening, and at noon. See, the religious hypocrites would stop whatever they were doing if it was 9 o'clock or noon or 3 p.m., and they would start praying out loud. And they would pray the most elegant, pious prayers possible to impress others. They wanted people to hear them. They wanted people to be in awe of them. And there's always a temptation to use religiosity to try to impress people or even to manipulate people. I heard a story about this little boy who was asked by his mom to pray. His grandparents were there, his grandma, his grandpa, mom and dad, ever, the whole family was there, and the little kid was asked to pray. And the little kid bowed his head, and he said, thank you, Lord, for this day, and thank you, Lord, for this food, and thank you for my family, and oh, Lord, would you please get me a new bike? In Jesus' name, amen. And mother looked at the kid and said, why did you scream at the end? Why were you so loud? He said, well, Grandma's sitting at the table. And Grandma can't hear that good. And Grandma's got the money. Listen, it is very, it's very easy for us to tell people how good we think we are. Kevin DeYoung on this text said that our prayer life should be like an iceberg in the ocean. What others see is just a little bit of the great mass of prayer and spirituality underneath the ocean surface. Our prayer life should not be, on the other hand, like iceberg lettuce. 
that floats on the water and there's nothing underneath. There has to be much more than what meets the eye. Sadly, I'm afraid that there are more iceberg lettuce Christians than there are icebergs. Jesus says here that these religious hypocrites love to be seen by others. They, they love to pray these long and loud prayers. And Jesus said they've received their reward. Dr. Tony Evans said that if you try to impress people, you will lose whatever heaven was going to do for you. See, if we do godly things only for others to see us do godly things and to brag on us for doing godly things, that's all we get. And so when you go and humble brag on social media and you get a few likes and a few comments, well, guess what? That's all you get. See, we often seek from people what we should only be seeking from God. And so Jesus says that when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites don't get out. Now, he's not condemning public prayer. Jesus prayed publicly. The early church prayed publicly. There is a, a, a commands and opportunities that the Bible both explicitly and implicitly teaches that we should pray together out loud. There's nothing wrong with that. But what Jesus is saying, that can't be all your prayer life is. Public prayer should not be <clears throat> the totality. It should be, in, it should be like the iceberg. And so he says in verse 6 that when you pray, go to your room. In the King Jimmy, it says your closet. Go in, shut the door. The closet, the inner chamber, was the only room in the Jewish house that had a lock on it. He says, go and pray in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you in secret. It's interesting that in all Jesus' content on these three pillars of Judaism with giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting, he talks about doing those things in secret. Don't do it to impress other people. Don't do it for recognition. God sees who you really are. He knows your heart. You can't, you can't fake it with God. This public, this private conversation does not have to be public to everybody because it's an ongoing conversation. And to be quite frank with you, you don't need to hear what I pray privately to the Lord. And I sure I don't need to hear what you have to pray. He says that if you come to your father in secret, and pray to him in secret, he will reward you in secret. And so Jesus here is saying, live for the one you cannot see, not for the ones you can see. See, praying in front of other people doesn't take much faith, but when I pray in secret, I'm trusting in God, and I'm trusting in a God, the God, who sees, hears in secret, and reward in secret. See, prayer is both an act and an expression of faith. See, when you're praying, you're not just talking to yourself. When you are praying, you're praying to a God you cannot see, who doesn't necessarily speak audibly back to you, and then you're trusting him to do what you cannot do according to his plan that you do not fully know and may not ever be able to fully comprehend. See, prayer is believing that God hears, cares, and answers prayer. Prayer is an opening up of your life to God. And so he says here, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't, don't be out there to impress other people. But then he says, verse 7, the heathen model. Those who want to impress God. Don't try to impress others. Don't try to impress God. He says here in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Gentiles here is not speaking of ethnicity. Speaking here of people that do not know the true God. How is it that people who do not know the true God, how do they pray? Well, they heap up empty phrases. This word empty phrases is we get our word babbling from. In the Greek, it's batalegoi. I know that really blessed your heart. Let me go a little bit deeper. It's an onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia what? Onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like the word. It's babbling. Baba, 
babylogeia. Babel, baba, bada, logeia words in the Greek. So it's babbling words. How do people who do not know the true God pray? Well, they repeat phrases over and over again as if God has some hearing problem or comprehension problem. It's like God needs a hearing aid, so I gotta go louder and longer. They pray passionately and try to get their God's attention. In, in Jesus' day, the thought was that if you drive the God's nuts, you get what you want. Well, the question is, does that work with you? Now, with my kids, a no doesn't necessarily mean a no. It's often for them an invitation for further negotiation. For some of you that have children, does, does it work when your kids come to you and say, I want ice cream? I want ice cream. I want ice cream. I want ice cream. I want ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. Does that work with you? If it does, let's talk. There's a parenting conference at the end of February. We want to invite you to full circle parenting. It doesn't work with me, and it doesn't, definitely doesn't work with God. See, other religions in the world think this. The more you talk to God, the more you're likely to be heard. So the more you talk, the more you say it, the louder you say it. You can impress your God. And so they think that if you can impress your God by being repetitive and passionate, then you'll get something. So I've been around the world. I'm like Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere, man. And you see different religions. So I've been to India multiple times. And you'll go in there. We went to some temples in Bangalore and Andhra Pradesh. And, and, and you would go to these temples and be constantly playing over and over. Hare Krishna, Hare Hana, Hare Krishna, Hare Hana. And it just over and over and over again, this repetitive stuff. And it was going on 24 hours, seven days a week. Even right now, somebody's sitting there listening to Hare Krishna, Hare Hara, because that's, they're just constantly crying out to Krishna. In Singapore, went to a Buddhist temple. They have these little prayer wheels where they spinning wheels that, that people just go and they put their prayers in and they spin these wheels. And every time it goes around, those prayers go up to, to, the, to Buddha and they go up to be heard and they constantly spin these wheels. So Northern Iraq, speaking to Muslims and they... Speaking in one man's house, shared the gospel with him. And here he had his beads out and he was praying the 99 names of Allah. But they actually, Muslims got that from the rosary. It was in Amsterdam and in a Turkish mosque. And there was a man that it was there and we was, he was talking to us. We was actually trying to share the gospel with him. And he said, I pray in the mosque five times a day. In the mosque. We said, why in the mosque? He said, because I get more credit with Allah that way. See, even people that come to church Christian people think that in order for God to hear their prayers, they have to do something to get his attention. So you have to say the right words. You have to be in the right environment. You have to do the right sacrifices to prove your sincerity. But the assumption of that is that God is hostile towards us, and so we have to butter him up. We have to turn up the volume and the intensity. But here's what you have to understand. God's not looking for long words, long prayers, or mindless repetition. As we go into the Lord's Prayer, God's not teaching us that we're to constantly pray the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. He's not teaching us that we should do Hail Marys or Our Fathers. He's not saying that we should just say over and over again the name of Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's not saying that. He's also saying don't use empty phrases. You know, there's sometimes even in Christian churches where we use words in our prayers, we don't even know what they mean. Like one of them is a hedge of protection. What's that look like? How big of a hedge is it? And can people get through it? What is it like? It's just empty babble. John Stock calls this kind of prayer all lips, no mind, and no heart. It's meaningless prayer. And we all are very, very guilty of meaningless prayer. Meaningless prayers are prayers that you say with your mouth, but you're not thinking with God in your, about God in your mind. 
I mean, we do this before we go to bed. We know we're supposed to pray, so we say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. We do our thing. Some of you pray with your kids. Some of you pray in bed, and you just start going, Jesus, I love you, and the next thing you know, you know and you're out. You, some of you know, I'm supposed to pray before I eat. I mean, if I don't pray before I eat, I'll get stomach food poisoning. Die of a bellyache or something. You gotta pray before you eat. And so sometimes you'll go out in the restaurant and you'll see other people and they, you're with them and they start eating before you pray and you get upset and you get angry at them and you make sure that you let them know, hey, we're supposed to pray before we eat. You know, that, yes, just yesterday, I, my family and I was with Pastor Thomas and his family and we were over at uh, Chef Herb's barbecue stand. For the glory of God. Saturday. Off of Mockley. There's your plug, Herb. There's your plug. Plug. We got the ribs. I got the ribs. People got the brisket. It's all good. I think Chef Herb could cook the phone book and it tastes good. <laughs> we were. I was with Pastor Thomas, John Marks, myself. Ladies were sitting at the other table with the kids. I know I'm the pastor, so we're supposed to pray for we eat. So I said, guys, let's pray for we eat. It's, it's, you know, asking God to bless this, you know. It's like getting a Big Mac and large fry and a Coke and saying, God, please nourish me with this food. <laughs> Lord, man, man, you all think about that. So here I am with, this, with these ribs. I got collards and red beans and rice. See, I know how to eat. Okay? And so there we are. Bow our heads. Guys, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the food. Amen. That's all I said. I really wasn't thinking about God. At that moment, I want those ribs. And so I was just trying to get rid of God so I can eat the ribs. You say, well, oh, preacher, I can't believe you wouldn't do that. You do the same thing. And I don't know about y'all, how many times are you sitting there, you go out to eat with somebody, and they start having church before they eat. And you're like, all right, can I open my eyes and eat while they're praying? Will they ever know? Okay. Listen, sometimes we just pray prayers to feel good about ourselves or to get rid of God because we want to get on to the good stuff. Jesus said, no, God is the good stuff. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't try to impress people. Don't, don't pray like the heathen. Don't try to impress God. Don't just do these little checkbox things or mindless babble or say, say something, But because really you're just talking to yourself. So then let's end with this. What's the point of prayer? I mean, what's it about? So verse 8, Jesus tells us. I'm glad you asked that question. 11 o'clock, you're such a smart group of people. You sleep in. You get here a little late. That's why we started a little late, because we knew y'all were going to be a little late. We wanted y'all to hear Pastor Thomas, so we, we cheated a little bit. Verse 8, do not be like them. If you've got a pen and a Bible you can write in, underline this. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus saying, you don't have to pray mindless, repetitious prayers to try to talk God into giving you what you want. God doesn't operate like that. That's not the point of prayer. Prayer is not trying to overcome God's reluctance. Prayer is about latching on to that relationship. You say, well, according to this, God already knows what I need before I even ask him. So if God already knows what I need before I ask him, why do I even bother praying? Well, let me just let you in on something. God 
does not make prayer. God, prayer is not about instructing or informing God about things he doesn't already know. And so we don't pray because God needs help running the universe. And what I mean, it's like, it's not like when we pray, God says, oh, thank you. I got your message. I didn't know it was that bad. I'm on my way. No. We don't pray to change God's mind. We pray because God has ordained that prayer is a means that accomplishes his ends. God has arranged things so that he gives grace to those who ask for grace. God doesn't need our prayer, nor does he need us, but yet God has, in his great wisdom and love, allowed us the privilege of prayer. And in that prayer, his, he, he uses our prayers as a means to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And so, does prayer change things? Yes, it does. Because God has ordained it that it changes things. But let me just tell you that God can save your life from a car crash with the legions of angels, with legions of angels. He can save you. Maybe some of you, you've survived a car crash and there's no explanation other than God. But often, he doesn't normally do miraculous things and save you from a car crash. He often uses a seatbelt or traffic lights or airbags. God can protect you at night from burglars at your house. He can put lions out in the front, scares them all away. But he doesn't normally do that. He often uses you locking your door, putting your garage door down, having the police around in a security system. He uses means. God can heal your body from any disease, amen? He is Jehovah Rapha. And some of you have experienced his miraculous power in your life. But he didn't always do that. But what he does do is he often uses modern medicine to heal you. So in the same way, God uses prayer to do his sovereign work in the universe. In prayer, we're not informing God nor instructing God as much as we are instructing ourselves to trust God. I mean, the reason that we sing some of the songs we sing, a lot of the songs that we sing are actually prayers to God. Instructing our hearts to trust God. See, prayer is a means by which God uses to do what God wants to do. And so listen, we should pray like it matters because it does matter. That's like saying, well, I don't, I mean, God's going to protect me, so I shouldn't lock my door at night. Well, lock your door, dummy, because God uses you locking the door to keep you from having some knucklehead come in. So pray, because it does matter. But the point of prayer is not about getting stuff as much as it is about getting God. It's about spending time with your Father. See, here's the good, here's the good news. Your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him, and so you don't have to worry about you getting something bad. You just get to hang out with Him. See, Jesus hasn't yet told His disciples to pray our Father. He's going to teach us that in a moment. But he is going to do it as a setup, teaching us that the one that we're talking to is not some hot-headed old man, not some distant king, and not some impersonal force, but our Heavenly Father. And if you believe that God is a good Father, then you don't have to try to impress Him. And you don't have to try to impress other people. Because here's the thing. If you know that you have the full, unconditional love of your Father, God Almighty, 
whose opinion ultimately matters, then what does it, man, what, what does it matter what other people think of you? And, and if you believe that God is a good, good father, that he is just good in all that he does and kind and, and wise and smart, then why are you trying to impress him? Just trust him. See, Jesus here is saying, pray to your father who knows you know loves you. Pray to your father who is ready to receive you and already knows what you need before you ask. Just come to him. Spend time with him. This lady, that April, and my, that my, April and I were discipling a few years ago. She, she said, I would have these daddy dates. I would just get alone and spend time with my father in heaven. Jesus says, don't have to be like the hypocrites. You don't have to be like the heathen. You don't have to try to impress others or God because Jesus gives you access. And every time you come to the Father, he'll never turn you away, ever. He'll never turn you away. Let me end with this. A couple years ago on New Year's Eve in Vatican City, the Pope, Pope Francis, was out greeting people in St. Peter's Square. Been there, it's big, huge square. Thousands and thousands of people were there to celebrate the new year with the Pope. People were clamoring to touch him, to shake his hand, and this was pre-COVID. Pope was there shaking people's hands. All of a sudden, this lady comes up and grabs his arm. The Pope does this. Pope slaps her. He later apologizes. He's an 83, at that time, 83, now 85-year-old man. And he apologized publicly for his actions. But I've been to think, you know, this, the Pope, and I'm not saying anything negative or critical about the Pope, but, I, but he's known by the Roman Catholic Church to be the holiest man, the spokesperson for God. His, his title is literally His Holiness. And yet this woman came to him yanked his arm, and he slapped her away. And I thought, number one, I can't imagine being the Pope. All those people wanted to see me, touch me, talk to me. I can see how he could lose patience. And let me tell you, if I were the Pope, there'd be worse videos than that. <laughs> tell you that right now. But then I get to think about God our Father who is truly his holiness, who is king of kings and lord of lords, who is high and lifted up. And I think of how many times I've failed him and how many times I've come to him and I know that in my life I've aggravated him, frustrated him, and how many times I acted like a fool and how many times I didn't trust him and every time I come to him in prayer, he never slaps me away. And he never will. Because I can draw near to God because God has already drawn near to me in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one that you need in your life. The hole in your heart is only filled by Jesus. And if you came here broken and empty, 
looking for answers to questions that bother you so. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work that I couldn't do. Take those that are in darkness and bring them to light. Those with hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Father, would you bring us closer to you? Would you allow us this week to not follow the hypocrite model or the heathen model, but to just spend time with you in prayer, to just be with you, to understand that prayer matters. Prayer changes things. And I pray, God, that this week prayer would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and let's sing. May this song be a prayer to the Father. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.